0: The scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 30. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners. And it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has been made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion." For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they associated with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world, and this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
1: Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here however we find ourselves today. Whatever it is we need, you already know it. Whatever it is we fear, you already know it. Whatever we're anxious about, you know all about it. To whatever degree we feel like we may have hit our lowest point, you know it, you meet us there. And you have seen to it that we would be here right now. And so help us to be here. Help us not to be in our past, beating ourselves up. Help us not to be in our future, where we paint pictures of disaster that are not reality. Help us to be here and now, present, where you are. Give us grace to be present to your presence. Give us grace to hear and be willing to listen to what you have for us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I have an announcement to make. On this exact day, now let me ask you something. What were you doing in February of 1997? Think about it. Where were you? How old were you? What grade were you in? What college degree were you trying to pursue? What career were you starting? What junior high had you just graduated from? 1997. I'll tell you where I was. I was at the Presidio Chapel overseeing the first ever worship service of the City Church of San Francisco on this day, 23 years ago. (laughs) Amazing! 23 years ago. To my knowledge, every person there has basically moved away Except for, you weren't there that day. Yeah, you were there the next week. <laughs> Sorry. I thought about this. I thought about this. I believe the only person. And it's funny, when we do the Intro to City Church course, you know, I, we show a picture of this group of ragtag folks who were gathering in the Presidio Chapel in 1997, and everybody in the picture, of course, has moved to different locations all over the world, and there's one person there holding a bank bag with the offering. And his name is John Matheny, and he still serves on the finance team of this church. It's apparently a life sentence. I think I know John's in Tahoe because I texted him about this yesterday, so I told him I was giving him a shout out. He missed it. Should have packed up and come back early for church. It just reminds me of, you know, we moved here, my wife and I with a six and four and two-year-old, and then a year later, we're blessed with another child. Um... It's a blessing. Um, We didn't know what to think about this city. We moved here from Knoxville, Tennessee. A lot of parallels between Knoxville and San Francisco, I know. You immediately think, oh, perfect preparation. This city is evil. This city is amazing. This city is beautiful. Back to this city is evil. These are most of the messaging we heard In fact, a lot of the people I raised money from said, you know what, better you than me. Good luck. (laughs) I think one of the things we did right was something we called back in those days in that early gathering in my apartment on Sunday afternoons was we had a commitment to an apologetic of listening. This radical idea of what does the city have to teach us? I mean, right out of the gate for people like us, it was like, how do you park in this city? How do, you, where, how do you shop? Where do you find groceries? I literally, the second day I lived here, went out onto the sidewalk, walked down the street to this older woman who was washing her car. And I said, where do you buy groceries around here? She looked at me like I had a hole in my head. I was crazy. But, um, you know, h- how do you do these things? How do you ride a bus? The city had all sorts of things to teach us, but also some very profound lessons. I can tell you one of them was my Christian superiority complex was challenged very early. As I met people who weren't all that interested in Jesus, but were following after the values of Jesus and living it out more heroically than I could imagine. Doing the work of Jesus. I met people who were not good Christians. I was taught to believe. You sure seem to be pretty great after all. I met all sorts of people in categories I put outside of God's real favor, liberals. I met people who I was told were outside of God's love, LGBTQ folks who were seeking to follow Christ early in my time here. Catholics. You have to realize I come from a background that's so conservative that interfaith dialogue means Presbyterians have conversations with Methodists, okay? Muslims. Basically, any category that didn't fit neatly into my conservative evangelical lens, continue to blow me away. See, this is part of what I want to talk to you about today, the potential of the city. The potential of the city is to not only deepen your faith. I would make the case that you can deepen your faith almost anywhere. But the great potential of the city is to widen your faith. To widen your faith. Because that's what's happening in this passage at Antioch. The widening of the vision of what God is about in this world. This aha moment that can but doesn't always happen for anyone who's seeking to develop faith in an urban, in a city context to say, oh, God's love goes further than I originally thought. It seems to be a deeply embedded human trait to continually underestimate the wideness, the surprising wideness of God's generosity and love. And the potential of the city is to help us see that. Now, let's look at this story we're looking at today. Long reading, sorry, 30 whole verses, but it's really important to see all of it, because really, if we want to do this justice, we'd have to read chapter 10 as well, because everything in chapter 11 is basically kind of the report of what happened in chapter 10. So the question I want you to ask here is, will you see this wideness, will you join it And will you act on it? So first of all, will you see it? That's the first 18 verses. You see right out of the gate, it says, Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard gasp that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, perhaps his knees are shaking a little, Perhaps he knows he's going to have to report some things that he's not sure hell's going to go over. The circumcised believers criticized him. They heard that they had accepted the word of God. Yay! And yet, when Peter shows up, they were ready for criticism. Do you see that back and forth that's going on there? And they were ready to ask some questions. Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Peter had to be thinking, you know what? I remember the Pharisees saying to Jesus, why did you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Peter, it says, does a step-by-step. Can you feel the tension a bit? That he's going to be very careful. A step-by-step explanation. And that's what you have in verses 4 to 17. It's a summary of what happened in chapter 10. Where Peter has... An experience. And don't forget that. That's what Peter has to offer this conversation. An experience. We may have been taught to distrust our experience. I was. Maybe you weren't. But that's what Peter has to report. An experience. This vision that he saw three times. Very important. Anything that happens three times in the Bible, pay attention. Three times this vision happens. It was all about God's leading, not P- Peter doing something. Peter's simply observing what God is doing. He has this trance where all these unclean foods, essentially, are placed before him. And Peter, thinking of that, oh, I know my Bible good and well. These are unclean things. And then to hear this voice from heaven in this dream say, no, no, no. You must not call unclean or impure what I call clean. Peter's categories are being exploded This big idea that what God has made clean, don't call profane, verse 9, that people are becoming Christ followers, Jesus followers, but not also becoming circumcised, becoming fully Jewish. That's what's taking place here. Gentiles are included in God's movement and don't have to become Jews. Note well, please, sorry about that. Note well that Peter has solid biblical grounds for calling all these things unclean that appear to him in this dream. But God's pressing him towards a more inclusive vision. Will you see it? Peter is asking them and us. I remember having a conversation with a pretty well-known pastor As a lot of these folks do, they will come to me and say, I just want to ask you, how did you evolve and change over the years? How did you go from being where you were when you first got here to where you are today, where you're not only ordaining women, gasp, but you also also are affirming of LGBTQ folks in the life of your congregation to full participate? How did that happen? what I'll talk about my journey. And this particular pastor looked at me and said, you know, I need Peter's dream until I get the dream. I'm not, I'm not about to do this. Now, internally, I was saying, what a cop-out. I didn't say that because I wanted to be friendly. But I did say, you know, only Peter got the dream. Other people had to trust him and go and observe for themselves the work of the Holy Spirit. This seems to be the pattern of Scripture, doesn't it? A group of people feel like they're in. I'm a part of the group that's in with God. I'm included. Now, let me go about figuring out who's excluded. Why do we do that? But we do it. It's helpful to see people doing it all over the Bible. It's Like, oh, it's not just me who does this. And then God disrupts. And disturbs, shows us differently, and we either <clears throat> we either have to adjust and say what Peter said, which is, who am I to hinder God from what God is doing, or we resist it. And I would say we could miss out. This is a part of our history. Where are all my papers? They're down there. Peter, could you have me that? I'm sorry. This is why you always have a passion in the front row whenever I preach, because there's things I leave down there. This is the way my friend Stan Mitchell puts it. He was a pastor. He says, hearing the experiences of others will always drive us back to the text to ask: are we reading the text faithfully in our present context of location and time? From the Gentile inclusion to slavery, from our understanding of the cosmos to women's rights, from interracial marriage to divorce. We, talking about the church, have a long list of, quote, we were wrongs in our history. This history of correction should remind us that at the base of our hermeneutic or approach to Scripture should be a loving humility that is willing always to hear Jesus say, you heard it say, said, but I say unto you. That's the nature of Christian spirituality is for God to continually be pushing us And disturbing and disrupting neatly conceived categories that's okay that's part and parcel of what the holy spirit does and when it happens what will happen is what happened to this group of people you see it there in verse 18 i love that that luke who wrote this includes this where he says when they heard this peter's entire experience of how the Holy Spirit came down upon these Gentiles the same way it did upon him and others. It says in verse 18, when they heard this, they were silenced. That's what happens. You go, wait a second. I'm not sure I should speak yet. What do you think is going on in that silence? What's going on in their minds in that silence. I might be wrong. That's one thing. I might be wrong about this. I might be wrong to think differently. I, this might be wrong for me to think differently. I might be wrong. If I, don't, if I grant this, then what? Maybe that's what's going on in their minds. Very human. Who will reject me if I take what Peter is saying on face value? Who will no longer talk to me? Who will cast me out? Who will push me out? Who will call me a heretic? What will it cost me socially? What will it cost me financially? I don't fully understand I, I can't deny the fruit of what I see going in their lives, but I don't know what to do with this. I believe this in my gut, but I don't know how to explain it. I believe all of that goes on in the minds of the silence when the Holy Spirit disturbs and disrupts us. And you know, this is all presented as if Peter was just like, "This is great. Why can't you see it? What's wrong with you people? But we know for fact from other parts of the Bible that Peter, it took a long time for him to get this. He struggled. I hope you can relate with all of this. This is normal operational procedure in Christian spirituality. Deconstructing is scary. But God will, has, will meet you in it. And you too, like these folks in this passage, will be able to say, we praise God for it. I'm finding God to be more gracious and merciful, more, more willing, more patient, with a greater imagination than I imagined. Will you see it? But Peter also wants to know, will you join it? Because after this has happened, down in verses 19 to 26, he goes in to talk more About what happens after this meeting, and they praise God, saying, "Then God has given even the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life." Now those who were scattered—we talked about the scattering last week a little bit, and the week before about how the scattering of people after Stephen was stoned, everybody got out of Jerusalem. It was no longer safe to be there. It was no longer safe. And all these people who were following Jesus—that's really what they were just called. They were called followers of the way. They were just really another Judaistic sect of the time. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad. You see, such an old joke, such an old joke, but it just continues to pay dividends. All right, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. Some of you are just getting it. The Zealots and these Jesus followers, the way. Who are these people? They were supposed to be going to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit in Acts 2 had said, get out of here. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what do they do? They huddled together in Jerusalem, by and large, until the stoning of Stephen. And then they began to be scattered. And what seemed like good news was actually the best news possible. Because part of where they're just scattered to is to places like Antioch, a massive, diverse city. Romans, Greeks, Africans, Persians, Indians, Chinese, Jews, extremely unique in the ancient world. And this is where God does a great work. And what is that great work? I would say it's a work taken most, I would say not only, because it's a little bit strong, but certainly most able to happen in a city. Because what happened in that great work was barriers were broken. Barriers were being brought down. Boundaries were crossed. I mean, this is a city, you have to realize, that had 18 quarters internally for the different tribes and nations that inhabited it. So you had a wall around it, a big fortress wall, That but then within it, there were fortresses built within. 18 different quarters in this ancient city. And what was happening is, those walls were starting to not matter. The boundaries were being broken. boundaries were being crossed. walls come down, not up in the kingdom of God. This all were' worshiping together. And this was scandalous. What's interesting in verse 22 is it says, if you'll look there, news of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. I love that sentence. News of this came to the ears of those of the church in Jerusalem. No doubt there's somebody there watching all of this, particularly be nice to this person for a second, but there's somebody there watching all this and is saying this needs to be reported. This is not appropriate this should not be happening, I'm going back to tell the leaders. Maybe it was that kind of person. I don't know. Maybe it was a person. Fred, be nice. Okay. Maybe it was a person who was saying, this is amazing and has to be reported. I don't know. But news of this came back to the leaders in Jerusalem. This must be reported. And thanks be to God, after hearing the report, they sent Barnabas. Now think about this moment in church history for just a second. Here this thing has happened in Antioch. This burgeoning Jesus movement has gone beyond Jerusalem. This is where we are in the story. And now we're beginning to see people outside of Jerusalem, people outside of Jewish categories, who are claiming faith in this Messiah, this Jewish Messiah. And at this moment, we're at the most tender, perhaps hinge moment of all of this Jesus-following movement. And in some ways, the history of the church rests in Barnabas' evaluation of what's taking place. Thank God they sent Barnabas, because Barnabas was a person internally of diversity. Willie James Jennings says this in his commentary, that Barnabas carries a story of newness in his body. That he himself is a sight of the in-between. That he is like these disciples who cross boundaries in Antioch. He is a Levite of Cyprian birth. He speaks their language, which is also his language, and the mother tongue of Jewish faith, which is also his faith. Barnabas goes to Antioch fully cognizant of the anxieties of Jerusalem and the power of the gospel. Not everyone who believes in Jesus is ready for newness. Not everyone who follows the Savior can come into the unanticipated places of the Spirit's work. Some saints, this is really James Jennings, don't like surprises. I know this to be true. Barnabas is not one of them. His eyes are ready for the new. He has seen the grace of God before. He knows what it looks like in new places and on new bodies. Barnabas, thankfully, is not stymied by this extraordinary situation. He simply yields to the Spirit. They sent a person to go observe what's taking place, who somehow, in the first century, had begun to have his us them template dismantled and can see it for what it was. Who was willing to have his biases challenged because the work of the Holy Spirit, are you ready for this? This is one of those passages where I should say you're ready for this because it just begs so many really hard questions. But the work of the Holy Spirit rarely confirms our biases. And I would say the American church is filled, and I'll just critique the American church as a pastor within it, critiquing myself, so I don't think I'm just projecting onto others. But I really believe that we in the American church in this country, people go to church largely To have their biases confirmed. To be reassured. Yep, I believe it right. It's all good. Go back for another week. And it's not that you're not reassured of things in church. I'm not saying that. You are. We reassure ourselves each week. The body and blood of Christ given for you. Absolutely. But make room for the disturbing and disrupting role of the Holy Spirit and what new things it has to teach us. I mean, it's a hard question, but I'm going to ask it. Who have you excluded from God's favor? Are you sure you want to do that? Can you at least say this, I don't know how to explain it, but not to sound like a person who's running for president right now, but God has a plan for them, whoever them is for you, and God has a plan for you. You know, each week we confess the Apostles' Creed before, not every week, but most weeks before we take, and in it it says that Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. You know what that means? It means that judgment is in Jesus' hands. Thank God. Pounding the pulpit. It's not an ours. Some of you love that. You're like, yeah, he's finally pounding the pulpit after 23 years. It's in Jesus' hand. And his judgment will always be restorative. His judgment will be fair. His judgment will be love. And I'm going to leave that where the ancient Christians also left it. It took, and here's the thing. Okay, here's what I want you to see. It took took all of this barrier breaking, all of this boundary crossing, all of this newness of the work of the Spirit. You realize this. Up until this point, you have lots of people who were saying, Jesus rose again from the dead. You have lots of people who were saying, let's follow the values of Jesus. You have lots of people saying Jesus is Messiah. But it wasn't until this community of people crossed over the boundaries and the barriers, what David Bosch calls the sociological impossibility, of the early Christian community. It wasn't until that happened that they could see Christ in their community. Isn't that fascinating? It wasn't until all that happened until they were called, the text says, Christians, which was a derogatory term, by the way. Little Christs. Oh, you people or just You think you're little Christ. You think you're like that Jesus person who repeatedly crossed over every one of these boundaries. You think you're like that Jesus person who didn't see fit to keep his place in his tribe but reached beyond it. Who didn't see fit to keep his place within the community of the clean but went to the leper and the outcast and the diseased and to those who had, didn't have enough and to those who were being, who were being hurt To those who were suffering injustice, oh, you're just like him. That was the accusation. And the early Christians said, we'll take that. We'll take that. Because that is actually the goal of what it means to be a Christian it is to be Christ like. I was taught the goal of being a Christian was to be biblical. And we love the Bible around here and revere it deeply, but only insofar as it points us to Jesus and helps us become Christ-like. And that's what they were seeing in these disciples and these Christians in Antioch. And that's the potential of the city to bring about these sociological impossibilities Because as Jesus told us in his high priestly prayer, when you are one, the world will believe. Shocker. And I'm not going to say much about the last part of the verse because I'm out of time, but don't you love it that right out of the gate, when all this is taking place, here comes this unknown prophet who comes forward and said, there's going to be a famine in the land. And what is their knee-jerk response? Oh, the famine's going to be in Judea? It's not going to be here, but it's going to be somewhere else? We'll give, determined upon what we have to give, we will give to relieve that suffering. How many people in Judea, seeing a famine coming on, do you think are sitting around going, oh, you know what, it's okay, because the Gentiles over there in Antioch, they're definitely going to send us money and help us get through this. No. But when the Holy Spirit is at work, there are new, new solidarities emerge. You're a human, I'm a human. You're in need, I give to you in need, whether you're in my tribe or not. New generosities emerge, new possibilities of what Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community that operates out of God's abundance instead of God's Supposed scarcity, where we begin to mimic the very overflowing generosity of God's love. This is the great gift and potential of the city. So, hard questions for you. What new thing is God showing you right now? What do you need to rethink? Which is another way of saying repent, to change our minds. What do you need to rethink? How is the Holy Spirit stirring up in you? Maybe it doesn't have to do with crossing boundaries. Maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring things up in you right now that have to do with yourself. You have to rethink yourself. You've projected this persona to the world to be accepted, but it's not really you. Maybe it's a journey, an invitation to figure out who you are, to rethink your family system, to rethink your self-awareness, to rethink your certainties to rethink how you treat other people. What person or group of people have you canceled? And I understand you have to make space. I understand you have to be careful that you don't just submit yourself to toxic people. I understand all those boundaries. But I'm talking about just writing people off. How does this challenge that urge we have to just cut people out? How has the city invited you to no longer call certain people unclean? How has the city challenged your range of love and to stretch beyond your own limits into God's life? Hmm. I got so much more to say about this, and I am out of time by a long shot. You know, that first service, I was way over as well, so I guess this is appropriate. (laughs) You know, each week we gather here and we celebrate the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection is really important because it vindicates everything Jesus taught us. It tells us, yes, God is saying yes to what Jesus said and did. It tells us that death isn't the final word. But you know what else it is? I want to suggest to you, it's also a pattern for us to see as part of the spiritual journey that things die and rise to new life, die and rise to new life. What needs to die in you that new life, surprising new life, might emerge? Gracious God, give us grace to be open and receptive to the way your Spirit might be leading us today in all sorts of myriads of ways and ways that no one here would even know or even dare to predict about us. You know what's going on with us. Help us to trust you with this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.